Welcome back, Chi Alpha. It's so good to see you all again. I love to see the bright, shining faces after a week of classes. Week one, you guys come and everyone's pumped up. Week two, they're like, oh gosh, we're in college now. It's going to be fun, though. The semester's only going to keep getting better from here. I loved getting to meet most of you guys last week, and I'm so excited because I think God is going to do something so powerful in this next year in Chi Alpha. If this is your first time with us, though, my name is Derek, and I'm the director of Chi Alpha. I would love the opportunity to meet you after service. Before I jump into what I'm going to talk about tonight, I do want to encourage you. Please, please, please get plugged into a small group. Small groups are the best part of Chi Alpha. Small groups absolutely changed my life. That's where I met my best friends still to this day was through small groups. I promise you, you will not regret it. Go try it once. If you hate it, you don't have to go back. So that's always the good news of that. But anyways, growing up, I always had this dream. See, I had a dream of being a rock star. This stemmed from me being in a Christian rock band. Yes, you heard that correctly. I was in a Christian rock band. If you don't know what that is, that's good. You don't need to know what that is. See, my dad grew up with a mullet playing in 80s rock and roll bands. He then gave his life to Jesus shortly before I was born, but he still loved shredding on his guitar. So his solution, because he can't go playing bars anymore, shredding down in the 80s, he's like, well, I'll have children and make them a band. So my older brother Daniel and I, when we got older, that was his solution. So we kept playing rock songs, but they talked about Jesus now. So we would play gigs around my hometown of Cedar Rapids. I remember this one gig we had. It was for like a benefit for a child who had some illness. Unfortunately, I don't remember what that was. But I just remember that the illness wasn't really what I was focused on. What I was focused on is we had made it. We got to be the headliners of this benefit. I thought this was going to kickstart our career. We were the main event. And I thought thousands of people would come show up. And we were going to become big time after this. See, I talked with one of the other guitar players in the band. We actually planned some synchronized choreography, like where we were going to jump off the stage and like shred at the same time. Keep in mind, I was probably around 12 at this time. This is what I looked like, if you would put that up. That's me in the middle with the blonde hair and the chubby cheeks. That's me. Praise Jesus for puberty. But anyways... You can put that down. Now that's my dad in front. He plays at our church. You get to hear him keep shredding. But anyways, we go to this benefit, and there's not a 1,000 people there. There's probably about 100, which was still our biggest gig we ever played to that day. Unfortunately, though, slowly throughout the night, one by one, these people left. And by the time it got to the headliners, which was our band known as Hearts on Fire, only person who was left was my mom. Our big moment was just my mother and I. See, I thought getting to play this concert, that was going to be it. I was about to be fulfilled. I was about to get all the 12-year-old girls who want Christian rock stars. But it fell short. See, it left me feeling, feeling wanting. But my dream was still alive. I hadn't given up. I was going to become a rock star. A few years later, I went to this Christian summer camp. And at this summer camp, there's like 400 students. And there's a worship band, or like what we have up here. And I thought they were the coolest people in the world. So my new dream went from being a Christian rock star to leading worship at this camp. See, unlike my first big moment, it didn't really live up. The second big moment actually came true. A few short years later, I got to start leading worship at this summer camp. My dream came true. I got to play at this camp and be my version of a rock star. I actually have done music at this camp for like four years since then. And hear me, it was a lot of fun playing music at this camp and leading worship. But I put a lot of hope into this. I thought if I just get to play on that stage and play music in front of big audiences, I'd be happy. And after my first year of doing this camp, when I looked back, if I'm honest with you, I felt a little empty. It didn't satisfy a deep longing in my heart like I thought it would. It was fun, 
but it didn't fulfill me. So I think this happens to many of us. We get a dream. We think something's finally going to fulfill us, and then it comes up short. It leaves us wanting more. We're all seeking satisfaction through various things. Maybe we think if we get a good grade on this test, then I'll finally be happy. If I just make it through this week, but then another test is assigned. We think if I get this girl to text me back, then I'll have arrived. But then she texts us back, and then we're like, well, now I want to go on a date with her. We think becoming popular will satisfy us, but then we want to become more popular. We just want 1,000 followers on Instagram, but then we get 1,000 and we want more. We get the iPhone 13, and literally a week later, they announce the iPhone 14. The list goes on and on. We live in a society that always wants the next thing, but is never satisfied. I think we're always thirsting for something more. Tonight we're going to read a story from the book of John. John is one of the Gospels, or just as a book that tells the story of the life of Jesus. We're going to pick up close to the beginning of Jesus' time in ministry, and he is in this region called Judea. Judea is home to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people is actually, that's what Jesus was. So it was like their nationality and their religion. The Jewish people were like the chosen people of the Old Testament, and that was what Jesus was. So Judea is down here, but Jesus wants to go up north to Galilee. But in between Judea and Galilee, in this middle area, is a place called Samaria, And Samaria was home to the Samaritans. I know we're getting some history here. It's fun. Long story short, the Samaritans and the Jewish people did not connect. See, the Samaritans actually used to be Jewish, but then they started intermarrying with people of different nationalities and religions, and they became kind of like half-Jews. So then the Jewish people thought the Samaritans were like the worst. They were at odds with each other, and they started avoiding each other at all costs. So Jewish people, Samaritans, they did not interact. In our story tonight, Jesus, the Jewish man, interacts with a Samaritan. Not only is this person a Samaritan, it's also a Samaritan woman. In this time period, it was thought either immoral or unnecessary for a man to interact with women. And the final piece of our puzzle is in the story, it says that the Samaritan woman goes out to a well at the sixth hour of the day. The sixth hour of the day would have been like the hottest part of that day. Usually when women women would go out to the well to get water, they would go in the morning or the evening so it wouldn't be so hot. But this woman goes out alone in the hottest part of the day. Women also didn't go to the well alone. They would go in groups. So the fact that she's going out in the hottest part of the day shows us that she was a social outcast. She was trying to avoid people. So Jesus does what he usually does, and he talks to the person that everyone else would avoid. We read in John 4, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come again to draw water. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for what you want to do tonight, God. We just pray that you can just speak through this message and speak to our hearts. 
In your name, amen. Amen. So Jesus breaks all societal norms to start this conversation with the woman. Just Jesus having this conversation shows us so much about who Jesus is. Jesus does not care where people come from. He doesn't care what people have done. He doesn't care about their race or their gender. Jesus is after everyone's hearts. There's no cultural barrier that is too far for Jesus to reach you. See, Jesus values the lowly. Jesus values women. Jesus values people who are different from him culturally, so we should too. Up until this interaction, this woman's entire identity would have been in her shortcomings, that she was a Samaritan, that she was a woman who had clearly made some mistakes. She would have thought of herself as unclean and not worthy of being talked to. See, just by starting a conversation with this woman, Jesus is telling us that our identity is not in what we've done. Our identity is not in what people around us think of us. See, Jesus, when he meets us, he wants to give us a new identity where he values us simply because we are made in the image of God. You have value simply because you're made in the image of God. No matter what you've done or where you come from, you have value. This woman asked Jesus, why are you talking to me? And Jesus doesn't even answer her question. Those societal norms were so inconsequential to Jesus, he doesn't even validate the question with a response. He goes right from her question to saying, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for living water. They didn't have this little discussion about a well, and it ends with Jesus saying this in 13 and 14. He said, to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, Jesus is getting to the crux of what he's trying to say. This woman does not understand what's happening. She thinks this random weird Jewish guy is talking to her from, for some reason and is offering her some water, but she's really thirsty, so she doesn't really know what's going on. But Jesus is trying to completely flip the conversation from something earthly to something spiritual. Jesus is trying to offer this social outcast woman something that she deeply needs, which is satisfaction. This woman had been living a life of continually going to this well, continually being thirsty, continually feeling empty, and having an eternal longing inside of her. And Jesus is telling her, look, the world, the things around you, this isn't it. There is more. You don't have to always be thirsty. We can quench your thirst forever with living water. Jesus is telling this woman that her way of life has left her feeling empty, and is going to continue leaving you feeling empty. But there's something else out there. And Jesus says, I have it. I want you guys to imagine something. I want you to imagine that you have a fish and you take it out of the ocean and you put this fish on a beach. Will the fish now be happy and satisfied? No, it will not. That's good, right answer. We're getting some crowd participation tonight. Okay, so the fish is on the beach. Now imagine that we put a fat stack of cash for this fish on the beach. Is it going to be happy now? No, the answer is no, not yes. Let's bring this fish, the perfect fish soulmate. It is her or his other half. She is the most beautiful fish ever. Is the fish happy now on the beach with his cash and soulmate? Probably not. All right, now the fish takes a selfie, gets out its iPhone 37. It posts it on Instagram, and it gets a million likes. It's so popular. The angle was so good. It showed off its scales perfectly. The pic is trending. The other fish are commenting on it. Wow, you look so good. Fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. Like, you are so hot. 10 out of 10. Is the fish happy now on the beach? No. Okay, let's bring the fish some fun. 
Let's bring it a beer. Let's get the fish a margarita, a white claw. Get the fish some weed. The fish is going to have a fun couple moments. But is it satisfied on the beach? No. Let's bring the fish some friends. Get the music bump, and it's like, ns, 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 and they're like fist bumping, and they're like twerking on each other. They're throwing a sick party. They're dancing. They're dropping it low. Is the fish happy now? No, they're probably all dead because they're fish out of water. Let's give the fish a perfect report card. The resume is outstanding. They were in every club. They were the president of every club. They got like a 6.0 on their GPA. They are ready. They're going to get a good job, but it's still not satisfied. See, the fish will never be happy because it doesn't belong on the beach. The only way the fish will be happy is if it gets back in the water. So if you're here tonight and if you've been unhappy and you're feeling like the things that you're trying of the world aren't working and they're not satisfying you and the things you're trying are leaving you empty, I think you need to lower your expectations of the world. We need to stop putting so much stock into the things of this world because you and I were not created to live in this world. We are created for something so much greater. We are created by God to live for God and to live for things that are so much better than what's going on here and now. You were created with an eternal purpose and an eternal destiny. So the things around you will not satisfy a deep longing in your heart because you weren't designed for them to do so. See, here's the problem with the things of this world. When I say that, I mean things like partying, social media presence, good grades, money, sex. See, these things, they all promise happiness. And if we're honest, they come through for a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. Sin can be fun for a while. However, eventually they leave you wanting more. Because everything of this world has an expiration date. Your significant other is going to get ugly. My wife Taylor's significant other is getting ugly fast. That's me in case you didn't get the joke. I'm saying I'm getting ugly. Your bank account will go empty. They're all like, did you call her ugly? No, I'm saying I'm ugly. I'm getting old. It's fine. I just got so many dirty looks. Like, listen, don't be texting during my sermon and give me a dirty look because you think I called my wife ugly. I would never do that. But anyways... Your significant other is going to get ugly. Your report card will not matter anymore. Your bank account will go empty or it will all be passed on. Everything expires. The only thing that can satisfy and fulfill us is Jesus because Jesus alone is eternal. Jesus alone is why you were created. See, sin promises you happiness but costs you your obedience to God, which eventually is going to lead to pain in your life because you're living against the design of of why you were created. You're going against the grain of the universe, so you're going to be unhappy, whether now or in the future. All these things get in the way of why you were created. Because Jesus designed you. Jesus knows which way you're supposed to live. And Jesus is smarter than us. We're all trying to find satisfaction. We're all trying to quench some thirst inside of us and satisfy deep longings. And the way we try to do this is through momentary fixes. Maybe you grew up in a house where you didn't feel loved or wanted. And you have a deep desire for affection or someone to care for you. Maybe you were never given attention growing up from your parents. Or maybe one of your parents left you at a young age. Before I go on, I want to say I'm really sorry that happened to you. I know a lot of times you become desensitized to that. If you had a parent that wasn't there for you, I am really sorry. And that stinks. But what we'll do sometimes is in order to try to receive the attention that we should have gotten from our parents, we seek it from other places. So we'll do things like go on Tinder, 
go find a hookup so we can have a moment of feeling wanted by someone. We try to satisfy deep longings for affection with a cheap solution like a one-night stand. Or maybe we try to satisfy this deep longing with an endless run of relationships. to go from girl to girl or guy to guy hoping that the next romantic endeavor will finally help me feel valued and loved when you will never find your value from someone else. Or maybe you feel like you were never good enough. Maybe your siblings were the smart ones, the talented ones. So now you place all your hope and energy into school, sports, music, something to try to prove yourself. Maybe you're trying so hard to earn value. Maybe you feel like your performance dictates whether or not you are loved. And you spend all your energy just trying to succeed to become somebody. Or maybe you feel like you never fit in growing up. Maybe you were the awkward one. You weren't the cool person. And when you come to college, you see it as an opportunity to finally fit in. And then you see the cool people around you going out on the weekend, going to the hill, and you so desperately want to fit in and have friends and be cool, so you quench this thirst of trying to fit in with going and joining the party lifestyle when your goal is not to just go get drunk. Your goal is just to have friends because you didn't have them growing up. And maybe we think that if we just go live the college experience or we go do what the other people are doing for fun, finally I'll have a community. But we think the key to fun, friends, and finally fitting in is partying, drinking, etc., and it never works. See, we all have deep longings inside of us that are okay. It's okay to want community. It's okay to want affection. It's okay to want to feel valued. But we try to get our deep longings filled with worldly solutions that aren't enough. They might provide momentary satisfaction, but they never last. Deep down, you are left unsatisfied. Actually, instead of satisfying us, these things, they enchain us. They leave us wanting more, so we have to keep going back for them. Keep going back to them, searching for something that will never be found. See, Jesus tells us how to live and tells us not to sin or live against the way he's designed us. Not because he has a power trip. He doesn't do this because he wants blind obedience. Jesus is not after obedient slaves. No, Jesus is after a satisfied soul. And he knows the only way for you to get there is for you to live the way he's designed you. Sin actually enchains us just like the woman was enchained to that well. She had to keep going back to that well because that's the only way she would get water. She was never free. Jesus knows that prioritizing him and living in the way he designed us is the only way for us to be free. See, with the woman at the well, he could have just given her a cup of water and satisfied her immediate thirst and sent her on her way. But no, he knew then she'd have to come back the next day for water. He wanted to give her something more. He wanted to give her living water. See, I don't follow Jesus because I have to or some moral obligation. I follow Jesus because he's better than anything else out there. It's all been tried and left wanting. But Jesus is the only one when we try it, we leave feeling fulfilled. Our temporary solutions to our eternal problems will always run out. Living water, though, will never stop flowing. So after Jesus offers this woman living water, she's really excited She's sick and tired of going to this stupid well, and she's excited at this prospect of fresh, never-ending water. So she asks for the water. She's like, all right, Jesus, I'll take it. And this is what he responds with in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. That would have been really awkward, I feel like. Like, ooh, you're right, I don't have a husband, but I have, never mind, I won't get into that. We'll keep going. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So right after this woman asks for living water, Jesus tells her to go get her husband. I think in this moment, the woman's probably thinking, dang it. Great, here we go again. It always comes back to this. It always comes back to my issue. She's thinking, we almost made it without him bringing it up. See, Jesus was bringing up the most tender part of her heart, the deepest wound in her life. This woman would have either been divorced or widowed five times. That would deeply transform and wound her. Jesus was not bringing this up to bring condemnation upon her. Jesus would not have gone all this way broke all those social customs just to make some random woman feel bad about herself. That doesn't seem like the heart of Jesus. No, Jesus did this because he knew that transformation was on the other side of this conversation. In this time period, men had complete control over divorce. So this means not that the woman left her husband five times, but that she was left five times or her husband died five times. She would have felt so invaluable. She would have felt unworthy that everything she touches is ruined. She would have felt so unwanted and just like a waste of space. Jesus is not shaming her, telling her, you've screwed up. No, he's saying, if you want to receive the living water that I have to offer, you've got to give me access to everything. You can't leave that part untouched. See, her real well that she was chained to was not the well that had water. Her real well was trying to find satisfaction from men. Jesus is telling her that you've got to stop going to men Or stop going to the world to find your value. But you need to turn to me. Jesus is showing her that her old way of life is not compatible with the new way of Jesus. He's saying you can't keep coming back to this well. You can't keep sleeping around with guy after guy. And then also expect to drink the living water. See Jesus confronts this issue before he gives her living water. Because he knew that drinking living water and drinking the old gross water of her old life would not be compatible. I want you to imagine that you live out in the desert. And your house has no access to water. You have to walk 10 miles to get to the nearest water source. And that water source is not very clean. It tastes bad. It makes you sick. But you need to go to it because it's the only water. So you keep going back to it. And every time you go back to it and drink it, you keep getting more and more sick every single time. But then one day you wake up and there's a man knocking at your door. He's been working all night. And he has installed a new water system that goes straight to your house. And this thing is top of the line. It comes right to your kitchen. It tastes amazing. It's even got like a bubbly fountain. You get to pick the flavor. You can click a bounce button to make the caffeine come in. And it's the best water you could ever imagine. You're set up. You never need to go to that well anymore. You don't need to get sick anymore. You can be healthy. And the better water is closer. You don't have to do anything for it. It's right in your house. All you need to do is choose to drink this water. See, imagine after having this water set up, that you keep walking back to the well to get dirty water. You keep going back to it because it feels natural. It's what you're used to. It's what you've always done. This is what we effectively do 
when we keep going to our sin instead of Jesus. See, what Jesus offers us is so much better. He quenches our thirst, but he doesn't want us to get sick anymore. He wants us to have grace and forgiveness, but we have to choose the drink from the water system he gives us. He's not going to force us to stop going to the well. But if you want Jesus to do it, he'll break you from the chain of your sin and he'll give you living water. He'll break you from all those things that are holding you back and then you don't have to keep going to the well. See, just drinking the new clean water in that system will not be enough to make you healthy. Because if you keep drinking the clean water but then you also are drinking the old, dirty, sick water, you're going to stay sick. Just the addition of clean water will not fix the problem. You need to only, not only add clean water but stop going to the well and stop drinking the water that's making you sick if you want to get healthy. So we can't just start doing Jesus things and coming to Chi Alpha and church while also continuing to live a life of sin. We need to turn from our sin if we want to see true transformation. I think we often try to live both lives. We want to do the Christian thing. We want to be a Jesus follower, but we also want to live like everyone else. We want to go to church in Chi Alpha, but we also want to go to the hill and sleep around and put our identity in what other people think of us. The list goes on and on. And as we sin, as we choose these things in the world, Jesus is not up on a hill like mad at you saying, how dare you do that? How dare you not drink my living water? No, what Jesus is doing is he's up there saying, my son or my daughter, will you please stop? Because that's not going to work. He's not mad at us. He's just saying, if you keep doing that, keep trying to live both lives, you will never be satisfied. He's saying, my living water can't have the effect that I want it to have because you're not letting it. If you want to truly drink the living water, you've got to stop drinking the old water. If we want to see transformation, we have to give Jesus access to our entire lives. The woman's resistant at first, though. She actually immediately changes the subject from something about her heart issue, like the man thing, to just some religious topic that's random about where they should worship. She's trying to get the attention off of her and onto something else. Jesus goes on to tell her, she's like, you don't even comprehend what you're talking about right now. I'm about to change this whole system of worship. But then he drops a bomb on her. And he says, I am the Messiah. That he's the savior of the world. When this woman meets the real Jesus, the Jesus who's the savior of the world, it changes everything. For Jesus change this woman's reality. See, Jesus hadn't died on a cross yet, so she didn't have that to look to, but this is like a glimpse of this. She's learning that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one. Tonight we need to meet the real Jesus, and when we do, it should change everything. After she figures out who Jesus really is, that he's the God of the universe, that he's the promised Messiah, and that she learns that he was willing to stoop down and cross all social barriers just to love on her, after she learns this, she holds nothing back. It says in verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town. She leaves behind her old water jar, which symbolically shows she's leaving her old life behind to live in the new way of Jesus. This isn't a begrudging act either. It's not her saying, fine, I guess since you're the Messiah, I'll live the way you want me to. I don't like it, but I'll stop sinning because I feel obligated. So I think we often will follow the ways of Jesus and try to be holy or godly, but then we feel like we're missing out on something or we feel like we're just doing it to earn something. Our morality can become our worth. Sometimes we don't obey Jesus because we love him, but we do it because we feel like we have to. But that's not the woman's heart. She doesn't run from her sin and leave her old water behind because of moral obligation. She does it because of joy, because living water can lead to joy. See, after the woman leaves her water jar, she runs shouting with joy. 
She goes to the place that she used to be the ashamed outcast, the city where she was never allowed to speak or do anything. She wouldn't have talked to anyone in a long time. And she runs into this city. In verse 29, it says that she runs in saying, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I don't think we recognize what she's saying right here. She is saying, come see a man who just pointed out all of my issues. Come see a man who just brought up all my baggage. He knew my deepest issues. He knew all my sin secrets. And she's like, this guy's awesome. I just got busted by God. And somehow that's good news. She's celebrating that. She's like, yay, Jesus got me. She's celebrating that she just got found out. See, the area in her life that used to bring her the most shame is now the source of her greatest joy. That's the beauty of Jesus. When we meet the real Jesus, no longer need to feel ashamed by our sins and shortcomings. See, our relationship with the real Jesus is not one where we have to measure up. It's not one where we need to feel bad about our shortcomings or some religious duty. No, the real Jesus is a life of joy, of celebration because we're set free. See, when the real Jesus touches the deepest issues of our hearts, the things that chain us to the well, he gives us an opportunity. He says, I want to set you free. No longer do we need to be shackled by our mistakes of the past or held down. No longer do we need to feel shame. We just need to be free and drink the living water. And no longer will we be thirsty. Life with Jesus is a life of joyful fulfillment in Him. I think sometimes we think of Jesus just like a begrudging drill sergeant who's trying to get us to live in way. And that's not what Jesus is promising us. He's saying, life with me can be life of joy. Jesus does not just want us to follow him because he's a dictator. Jesus wants us to follow him because he knows that's the only way we will be satisfied. The only thing that works is following King Jesus. Jesus shows us who he really is through this encounter with the woman. See, this woman, she came to the well ashamed. She was broken and she was living in sin. According to that society, as we learned, Jesus should never have talked to her. But he did. This is what Jesus has done for us. We are all broken. We are alone and we are full of sin. However, Jesus loves us so much that he came to earth. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus was the only one who did not deserve to pay the penalty of sin. But then he pays that penalty and he dies on a cross for us. Jesus paid for our mistakes. He bore our guilt and shame, so now we don't have to. This is how Jesus broke our chains. He knew we'd make mistakes. He knew that we'd come up short, that we'd try to find satisfaction from the world. And he knew that that would naturally disconnect us from God. However, he was not okay with that. Jesus did not want us to be distant from him, but he wanted us to be children of God. As we talked about last week, John 1, 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We must remember that our birthright is a right to royalty. See, Jesus is king. And we can become the sons or daughters of God if we just turn to Jesus. We don't deserve this right. We don't deserve the right to royalty. However, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can have all of our sins forgiven. The beauty is, Jesus didn't just die, though, on a cross. Three days later, he conquered our mistakes and death because he rose from the grave. Jesus was not just after providing us forgiveness or a ticket to heaven. No, Jesus wanted to provide a means for deep fulfillment here on earth. 
And that's why he rose from the grave, because he's a victor king. See, now we are free. We are free to claim our birthright as sons or daughters of God. But in order to claim this birthright, we've got to leave our old water jars. We've got to stop or start drinking in living water. And if we do that, Jesus will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. The main idea tonight is only living water can deeply satisfy. Only living water. See, maybe you're here tonight, and if you're honest with yourself, you've been pursuing the things around you or the things of world for satisfaction. Maybe you thought the key to fulfillment is just doing whatever you want. But maybe if you're honest, you've been a little thirsty. See, Jesus knows that you will not find fulfillment through the world. He knows that only living the way you were created will lead to deep satisfaction. So maybe you're here and you've never drank the living water, which means you've never had a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is asking you tonight to accept him as your Lord and King. And if we will do that, if we will say, Jesus is my King, and we'll turn from our old life and turn to him, he will forgive our sins and blot out every transgression and wash you white as snow. Or maybe you have had a relationship with Jesus. You've been drinking the living water, but if you're honest, you've still been chained to that old well in your life. There's something that you've still been drinking some old water and you've still been living a life of the world, trying to live this double life. See, Jesus wants to break you free tonight because he knows you're not satisfied. See, I know what it's like. I grew up as the church kid who tried to be the perfect Christian, but then also had sin issues inside that I didn't want to share with people because I had this image I felt like I had to uphold. And I know that that is a very exhausting and not very fun way to live. Jesus wants to break that from you. If that's your place tonight where you come and you've been trying to live both worlds, Jesus is saying, that's not going to work. You're going to continue to feel unfulfilled by that. Jesus wants to break that chain of having to keep up an image. And he also wants to break the chain of the sin in your life. He wants to set you free to become the son or daughter that you were called to be. See, Jesus is after us having a life of joy. Jesus isn't here to bring you shame. He's here to set you free. If we will trust Jesus enough and only drink the living water and only live life the way Jesus told us to, we will experience true joy. We'll become a people so in love with God, so filled up that we will change the world. I have such a heart for this campus. I want to see our campus turned upside down. But see, the people around you that don't love Jesus or don't know Jesus are not looking for lifeless religion or more obligations or rules. They're not looking for inauthenticity. That's not what this world or generation wants. See, our campus is looking for people who are actually different from them. This campus is looking for something attractive. So if you want to be a witness to your classmates, if you want to be a witness, let's say you call Jesus king and you want to see your classmates come to know Jesus, you got to be doing something new and drinking a different water. You can't be living the life they're living and expect to see transformation in their lives because that's not attractive. What will draw people is freedom. And if we do this, if we choose to pursue satisfaction through Jesus alone, we will change our campus because they will see something different. Kaiafa will become an oasis in the middle of a desert. People will be coming here to fill their thirst. And if we do this, the whole campus is going to start drinking living water and see their thirst quenched and it will be turned upside down. Not only will we change the campus, your heart will be changed as you find true fulfillment through King Jesus. If you'll stand with me. See, at Kai Alpha, we like to give 
an opportunity to respond because God might be speaking something to you. And I know the temptation to come in and hear a nice talk and then walk out and not do anything with it, but we don't want that. We want to see true transformation. So we're going to give you two ways to respond. The first is if there's anyone in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus or maybe you've been running from Jesus and you haven't really started drinking that living water and you want to start a relationship with Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that tonight. So if everyone will close your eyes, bow your heads. What I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, not just so people can look around or so that means anything, but really it's a symbolic act of you saying, Jesus, I'm all in. I want your living water. This is between you and God. So if that's you on the count of three and you want to start a relationship with Jesus or restart a relationship with Jesus, raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. Jesus, thank you for paying the penalty for our sins. Amen. Amen. A second way I want you to respond is if you're here tonight and you've been following Jesus, but if you're honest, you've been chained to some wells and there's something you want to give to the Lord tonight. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you just to hold your hands out in front of you like you're ready to receive something. So you can go ahead and do that right now if you want. There's going to be no counting. So hold your hands out in front of you and let Jesus wash you out of snow. Let Jesus break chains off of your life. And then as we worship, I challenge you to lift your hands and praise to God and worship him and say, Jesus, my chains are gone. I've been set free. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for tonight, God. Thank you for everything you've done and thank you for being the only source of living water. Amen. Amen. If God's doing something in your heart, we'll have our response team or some, some leaders in Kyle up in the front. They would love to pray with you. Everything you say will be confidential, but sometimes we need to get things off our chest. They'll be up there ready to share and ready to hear your heart and pray over you. Love you guys so much. See you next week.